I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So using my time at home to interview people past and present, and today's interesting. Today, I had a topic I wanted to do, which was on templating, and I realized I needed an expert to come join me because templating is far from my something I'm, I'm good at. So uh, Matt Tabak, editor extraordinaire, is joining us. Hey, Mark. Okay, so first off, let's define template. What is templating? So we talk about templating. What, what do we mean by templating? So templating is basically the process where we take what a magic card does, its function, and we translate that into the words that we put on the card. So whatever whatever a designer wants the card to do, we write the words that we put on the card so when a player reads it, they know what the card does. They know what to, when they're in the game, they know what the creature does, they know what the sorcery does, they know what the enchantment does, etc. So it's the kind of the language that we use that the magic rules know how to interpret the effect. And so where, you know, players know what the game does and how to play. That's I, template. I often call it magic ease. That yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's the language, right? Magic right. has its own language. It's, it's so the game and the rules and the players and Magic Arena and Magic Online, they all speak the same language. It's magic ease. Okay, so let's talk, I want to talk a little bit about the history of templating, and then we're going to get into the the nuts and bolts, the, the nitty-gritty part of actual templating. Yes, so, in the beginning, yes. uh, there was none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alpha, so people were, I've talked about this a lot from a design standpoint, but it's true from an editing standpoint as well. Alpha was very card-centric, which means every decision was made for that card to maximize that card in a total vacuum. And so one of the things that Alpha did is you could have two cards that basically did the same thing, but the words weren't the same. And that caused some confusion early on. Yeah, I mean, Magic, you know, when it started, it, it was kind of the first game. I mean, in one sense, it was the first game of its kind, right? Trading card games were not a popular genre at the time. Now, there were certainly games. There were certainly board games. Board games had cards. So it wasn't completely unprecedented, for a game to have cards that told players what to do. So it wasn't like they were, you know, completely new. But in, in a very real sense, Magic was the first of its kind. So they didn't really have a lot to draw on when kind of putting this product out into the universe or the multiverse, as it were. Um, but when well, you look at a lot of the early cards, it was kind of, you know, flying by the seat of their pants. So um, the early, like, Time walk. You know, if you look at like an alpha time walk, which I'm going to start talking noticeably slower <laughs> as I look at Gatherer what, to what, bring up. So, what, and, hey, while you look at it, let me explain something real quick. The, yeah. When Richard first made the game, um, no one could predict magic as the giant monstrosity of a game it became. Uh, and the idea was look, you're playing with your friends. If issues come up, you and your friends figure out what happens. This idea of, you know, everything has to work the same so major tournaments can happen, that's all down the road, you know. And so, really what Richard was trying to do is be evocative. He wanted the cards to be as evocative and as cool as possible. The The idea of them all working the same, just, that wasn't super important in early Magic, just because the, the early vision of Magic was not what it eventually would become. No, no one could have predicted the juggernaut that Magic would become. Right. So, do you have Time Walk? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Do you have Time Walk? Do you have the Alpha Time Walk? Yeah, so like Time Walk. Very simple card. Very simple words. 
Nailed it, right? What was, read me the text for Alpha Time Walk. Uh, Alpha Time Walk, take an extra turn after this one. So, by the way, a, a funny story, talk about templating. In uh, in beta, you know, when they were playtesting, originally it said, target player loses next turn. Right. And they misinterpreted that as meaning, when I cast it, I win, because they lose next turn. Right. So, and, and this is a lot of, a lot of what templating is, is kind of anticipating what the player is going to think the words mean. Um, so you read the text and, and thinking about, okay, if I'm a player in the context of the game and in the context of not only while I'm sitting at the table, you have to think about like, okay, a player opens this in a booster pack, right? Because rules text isn't just important in the middle of the game. You have to get the player to put the card in their deck, right? So when we're talking about what words we put on cards, a lot of that is coming up with attractive, fun text. At the end of the day, we're making a game, right? We want this to be approachable and fun. And, you know, we want players to be excited about the cards that they open. So you have to get the players to get to the table and put the card in their deck. Right. So, And that's a tension with templating is you yeah. both want to make it as cool a card as you can and as understandable as you can, but you want things that are the same to work the same. So, like, it's important. One, one reason templating exists is if three different cards do the same function, we don't want them having three different sets of words because that's going to confuse people. Right, and so templating is sort of says, "Hey, this effect is worded this way, so every time you see it, you learn it works the same." Right, and then you have so just I'm just picking kind of the first alpha card I came to with reasonably long rules text is Kelden Warlord. So it's you know it's a creature, it has X's where its power and toughness are, and this was at the time very unusual because all the other creatures, at least most of the other creatures, had numbers there. So Kelden Warlord explains to you. The X's below are the number of non-wall creatures on your side, including Warlord. Thus, if you have two other non-wall creatures, Warlord is 3-3. If one of those creatures is killed during the turn, Warlord immediately becomes 2-2. So one of the functions of rules text is kind of to explain unusual situations to you. Now, having one of your creatures killed is not what I would call an unusual situation. This function has sort of been taken over in modern times by reminder text. Uh, sometimes reminder text, there's kind of two flavors of reminder text. So we'll get into all this, you know, as we go on, but we don't have a ton of time because this drive, uh, though fake is not that long. Um, there's kind of the standard explain a keyword reminder text. So this is kind of remind you, this is, this is what a keyword does. Then there's the, this ability is kind of unusual. So let's give you an example of a situation that might come up to give you an idea of what happens. And this is kind of what the Kelden Warlord text is hinting at. It's like, here's an example of something that might come up in play that we think will come up during play, and here's how it happens. And this, if we give you this example, hopefully the player can extrapolate what will happen in other common situations, and you'll just have a greater understanding of what's going on. So why don't we talk about the hierarchy? So when you're, when you're looking to edit and, and template a card, what is the, like, what's the order of importance that you look at? Now, do you mean when I'm looking to template a card or whenever I'm looking to template a card? Exactly. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, so uh, kind of the – there are several factors that come into play or enter the battlefield, but really come into play. 
um, when I'm looking at a template of card. Uh, the most important thing, actually, like practically, is that it fits on the card. Words have to fit. Right. If they don't fit on the card, that's the ball game. We can't print the card. Nothing else really matters. Um, yeah, classic example the, of that was in Theros, the, the, the equipment for the gods. We wanted to make it equipment, but there's no way yeah. to make enchantment, artifact, like equipment. It just didn't fit. Le- yeah, legendary like legendary enchantment equipment. That's yeah. kind of its own deal. Right. And then there's the, the tax box. Yeah. And they both, like, everything... Magic cards are only so big. Everything is kind of a fight for real estate, right? The some every once in a while, though it's rarer than the other real estate fights, the name and the mana cost will fight, right? If the name is really long and there's a lot of mana symbols in the mana cost, they'll fight. Right. That's kind of the easiest fight to settle because names can usually just get shorter. That's simple. Um, Unless you're an under, underworld cook, cook, and then then we have to right. get creative. more <laughs> whatever. I'm not Ethan Fleischer. I can't do it. Um, I think like of the like 25,000 cards plus in Magic history, I think one, and I can't remember which one it was, but I remember like one card lost a mana symbol to accommodate a name. Like it went from multiple colored mana symbols to fewer and more generic uh, spirit, mana. Spirit of the Night in Mirage was originally Spirit of the Night Stalker. And okay. that didn't fit, so we had to shorten that. We, we've done some and name like, shortening. So, like, several cards have had their names shortened, yeah. but I think, like, one, and maybe it was Nicobolus Planeswalker? No, that was it. something. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay, so, so number one, you got to fit. So template but anyway, has so to like, fit. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. happens. Type lines are often a thing of uh, contention. And so we have standards as far as how large text can be because uh, cards are game pieces that should be usable by humans um, you know, with reasonable eyesight limitations. We don't want the text to be too tiny. So we have standards as far as how text can be. There are some variations. We do make exceptions on occasion because rules text is, you know, pretty awesome. It's what makes the game go. Uh, abilities are great. Cards without abilities are sometimes awesome. Hi, Asamaru, but not often. Um, creatures that with abilities do cool things. We like printing abilities. Abilities are cool. Um too many abilities can be overwhelming and don't fit on cards. Also, we so, translate the cards as well. So not only do we have to keep it short, but like German, I know, is longer, ends up being longer on average than, than English. Yeah, so. German, German tends to have more text. Um, some alphabets are unpredictable. We print in 11 languages, so we have to be accommodating globally. Um, so... Rule sex must fit on the card, and that applies to, of course, the type line also, and the name and the mana class. Everything must fit. Um, we want to make the game as approachable as possible. Uh, magic is complex, or can be complex. Um, we don't mind complexity. Complexity can often be a hook. It can be exciting. It can be, uh, you know, the game is not tic-tac-toe. Uh, we want it to be intriguing and intellectually stimulating and all these other wonderful adjectives. Um, we don't mind complexity. We don't want it to be complicated. We don't want it to be um, daunting. Um, but we don't want people to get hung up on kind of the minutia. Like the rules are very, um, there are a lot of them, right? Magic is a big game with lots of interconnected pieces, 
um, that interact in sometimes surprising ways. And it's big. It's been around forever. And we put out new cards constantly, um, thousands and thousands of cards, and they all work together, right? It's not like we put out Magic, you know, 2021, and it doesn't really work with Magic 1994. It's not like the the Madden games or whatever, where they look similar and they're kind of basically the same game, but I can't import my 1994 team to, you know, it all works together. So uh, there's a big, big machine that um, all the cards talk to each other, and there's a big system that makes that happen. So we want every player when they look at their cards, to be able to read the card and kind of get a fundamental understanding of what's going on. And the way we do that on the ground level is templating. We use the same words, at least we try to. We use the same words to describe the same effects. Magic has a handful of things that it does, right, on a basic level. Um, There's damage. We move cards from here to there. Targeting. Targeting. There's targeting, there's tapping and untapping. There's like a handful of basic actions that magic cards take. Um, and then there's like some more complex ones. And every once in a while, we'll innovate something new, right? There's like bidding. And then there's, you know, wacky things like mutate. And it's all just kind of like a handful of facts remixed for, you know, different things. And then we just kind of build on top of those building blocks. Um, we're like the Hasbro version of the other building block toy. Um, someone will fill that in with the right trademark. Dude, the, the Hasbro one. The I can't think of the things. I don't have kids, so I don't oh, have uh, these references available. Um, I forget as well. <laughs> uh, <that's right. laughs> the... Uh, so also, uh, not only do we have to make it work on the cards, but remember there's digital as well, like Arena and you know Magic Arena and Magic Origins. Uh, no, not Origins. Magic Online exists, and um, you need to be able to like the cards have to not only work in our system, but also computers have to make them work. Yes, uh, the, the the computers uh, and robots that run Arena and Magic Online. Um, so we're, so magic, the, the magic templating and the magic rules are basically a language and a code that, uh, facilitates both human gameplay. That's of primary importance. We want, you know, and we also makes, uh, digital play possible. And really one of the advantages of templating is that as a player, you start recognizing the patterns of the words we use and it, when you start seeing, like some of magic templating is a little bit long, right? You see an ability, but abilities start showing up and you start recognizing familiar phrases. Like triggered abilities all kind of fit the same pattern. Like when an event happens, effect. Or whenever an event happens, effect. And you start kind of recognizing these patterns and it kind of builds a shorthand in your mind and you stop really needing to focus on every word and you start recognizing phrases and it kind of builds an understanding. You start building a language where you start understanding cards on an intuitive level because we have used consistent templating from, excuse me, from set to set and from card to card, which is why when we deviate, 
we have to do so with a great deal of thought and care. Like if we stick a word in the middle of a sentence that changes the functionality of something, we have to be real intentional and real careful about how and when we do it. Um, because the more subtle we are about it, the more likely players are to miss it and for it to be misinterpreted. So you brought this up earlier. So let me let me let's try this as an example. Let's use use yeah. when and whenever as an example of oh, how sure. they mean slightly different things. So like let's so the audience can be aware. What does when yeah. mean versus what does whenever mean? So when and whenever, from a rules point of view, they're the same. They're just they're two words. They're two of the three words that indicate a trigger ability, and we just use them. What's the third? Um, I'm sorry? What's the third? The third is at. And they're just used in different contexts. At is used if we're talking about a part of the turn. So like uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, do a thing. Um, when and whenever are used if it if the triggered ability triggers on um, uh, like something happening. Like when we use when if we anticipate that the ability will trigger only once. And we use whenever if we anticipate that the ability will trigger more than once. So, like, whenever you draw a card, you gain one life. We anticipate you'll draw more than one card. You know, in most scenarios, you'll draw more than one card. This ability will trigger more than once. We do whenever. And it's just a nod to English. Um, just sort of a, a subtle reminder that this ability will trigger more than once. We use when, like, when this creature enters the battlefield, this ability will trigger only one time. Now, the creature may leave the battlefield and then come back. Now, the, the, we can get into the details, the nuances here. It's a new object. That ability is actually different than the ability it was the first time it was on the battlefield. The important thing is, we, in most situations, that creature is only entering the battlefield one time. I mean, technically, it definitely is only entering the battlefield one time. But for practical purposes, that ability is only triggered one time. When this creature enters the battlefield, you draw a card. Oh, and then I gain life because of the other ability. Mm -hmm. So they're both, from a rules point of view, the same. It's just a, a kind of a, a little subtle thing we do for in English. Is this ability going to trigger once or more than once? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I know is something you guys always think about is we want the audience to both understand it and get excited by it. And so, yeah. like, for example, sometimes sometimes we have fun. You know, sometimes, the, you know, the land still continues to burn. You know, like, sometimes we'll use some templating that really captures flavor and does something a little off the beaten track, assuming it's, it's a unique thing and not something we're doing other places. Yeah, flavor can be a great ally of ours. Um, we definitely look for opportunities to lean on it. They are not super common. Uh, I mean, rare te rules text kind of has to be... You know, it kind of has to stick to the system as closely as it can. Reminder text is a good opportunity to kind of inject a little um, flair, if you were, if you will. Like, Obstant Fireheart was kind of an unusual situation where other reminder texts weren't performing well in testing. Like, we'll often just test out different templates uh, internally just to see how people react to it and we'll especially test it on people outside um, the studio and just to see like people who have not seen the cards a lot. Um, do they at, on first read, do they understand it? Do they get it? Like what are their reactions to it? And so we just sort of like kind of threw a Hail Mary and just, uh, I believe it was Del Loggle, uh, principal editor, um, 
fantastic editor who came up with that text and it just worked like people just got it and it's one of the the more famous kind of offbeat reminder text talked about to this day so you know we'll look for opportunities when it's appropriate um to do um those sort of offbeat reminder texts they can be effective uh right, the, right. the opportunities to use them don't pop up that often i want to stretch the reminder text doesn't have the same rules weight Normal templating, there's a very exacting wording we have to use so it matches the rules. Reminder text doesn't sort of have that. It's not quite as uh, technically exact. So we, we are allowed to be a little more in, more Englishy, if you will. You get a little more common sense in the wording in reminder text, more so than we can always be in normal normal templating. Yeah, technically speaking, reminder text has no rules at all. Like, it doesn't carry any weight. It doesn't actually... I mean, from a strict rules point of view, it, there are no rules. Like, it's not actual text. It doesn't do anything. Um, it's strictly there, at, you know, as advertised to remind players what's going on. Now, there are some internal guidelines for what we do in reminder text. Uh, reminder text can be incomplete. It can be uh, vague. What it cannot do is lie. Like, we can, we don't do at least you know, unless we make mistakes, which happens. Uh, it can't be incorrect. Uh, it can leave things it, out, though, right? It can not tell you everything. Yeah, it can be incomplete. And uh, it can't misrepresent... Yeah. Yeah. Hello, take two. It can't, it can't misrepresent <laughs> what kind of ability it is. For example, if it's reminder text of a triggered ability, it has to look like a triggered ability. Like it, if it is a keyword that is a triggered ability, it will say whenever or when as appropriate. You know, it'll it'll take the form of a triggered ability. It may not be the exact rules text it would be if it were rules text, but it won't not look like a triggered ability if it's a reminder text of a triggered ability, for example. So one of the tricks we use all the time, or we use a lot, is we're trying to do something if we make a keyword out of it, that gives us the flexibility of defining it in rules text on the card, sorry, in reminder text on the card, and then technically we can do it, you know, elsewhere. Um, so sometimes when we have hard things to template, we make use of keyword technology to allow us to, you know, use the reminder text to explain a little easier than the technical thing we normally would have to do. Yeah, keywords are great um, for a couple of reasons. One, it lets us inject a little flavor, whereas, you know, maybe we couldn't before because it lets us put, you know, a, a flavorful stamp on maybe an ability or maybe a collection of abilities, right? Like some keywords are actually two or more abilities uh, behind the scenes. And yeah, it, it can be a space saving measure because it lets us kind of approximate what the rules text would be in reminder text. Uh, keywords can also sometimes be a space lengthening measure because um, whereas normally we, we could just put the rules text, now we have to put the rules text basically in reminder text plus put the keyword there. Yeah. So oftentimes keywords actually make cards longer than they would be if they weren't keywords. So a lot of uh, people will sometimes suggest, why don't we just make this a keyword to make things shorter, when re in reality, they actually just make cards longer. But and that's sometimes it... a price we're happy to pay because the, the card ends up a little more flavorful and a little more cool with the keyword, but people sometimes don't understand that they actually just make their cards longer by adding a keyword. Right, but there's also a big difference between... One thing about reminder text is once the player understands it, they stop tending to reference the reminder text. 
So the practical language gets shorter, even if the, there are actually more words on the card. It it feels shorter, even though it might actually be longer. Yeah, and sometimes because, especially nowadays when we're often producing multiple versions of a card, there'll be, you know, your basic version of a card that appears in draft boosters, but there'll also be like collector versions and other special versions. Sometimes we will chop reminder text off of those more uh, awesome versions of the card. So sometimes having reminder text uh, gives us a tool to, you know, omit it from other versions of the card. So it makes us, you know, it lets us print some versions of the card that, you know, without as much text on it for, you know, people that don't need that reminder text. Okay, so something I, because I can see my desk here, we don't have too much time left. Uh, one big topic I do want to talk about before we sure. we end is talking about the order of abilities. How, oh, do, sure. how do we decide, like, what order things happen? What order keywords happen? Or what order abilities? Like, how do we decide the order of things? So keywords, basically, we kind of have a set order. Um, it's roughly speaking the order in which we think the abilities will be relevant, uh, with some exceptions. Haste is kind of always first because it's generally useful immediately and then never again. There's one that comes before haste, though, isn't there? Well, there's it's there are some exceptions. But Fla so, I mean, flash is always the absolute first one, right? Because it's in your hand, right? So, and then, and then some keyword abilities go on different lines. So basically, they're kind of separated by paragraph by when they are relevant. So keywords that apply as a spell is cast go on their own line. So like flash, and there are a couple exceptions to this. So everything I'm about to say is kind of the general case. Um, you, there, there, you will find exceptions to this and we can get into semicolons, but I don't think we have that kind of time. Um, so flash, um, things that uh, apply as the spell is cast. Um, so, uh, flash can't be countered. Um, like, um, uh, well, I'm just trying to think of like uh, can't can't, know, can't be countered. Is additional example, right? additional costs, yeah. um, alternative costs, things like that, kind of appear on, on their first line, kind of by themselves. And then, like battlefield relevant keywords for creatures or other permanents, um, haste appears first because it's generally. Uh, you use it right away. Yeah, it's. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, haste appears. Sorry, I'm speaking out of turn here. <laughs> Flying usually appears first because, uh, kind of just by tradition, uh, flying is just so, sort of the most intuitive kind of keyword we have. Everybody kind of understands it. Um, you don't really like it. Used to, flying used to have reminder text, at least at uh, on commons and uncommons kind of um, explaining about, you know, not being able or can't, you know, can't be blocked except by creatures of flying or reach. And um, we've sort of moved away from reminder text on flying because people just kind of get it. Like uh, even people that you just taught magic to, people just kind of intuitively understand what flying means. Uh, haste, apologies for misspeaking before. Haste appears last um, in the l list of keywords before haste is, you know, useful on the first turn and then you just kind of forget about it. So haste always appears at the end, um, of the list of keywords. And then, uh, as far as, uh, the other battlefield relevant keywords, your village, your vigilance, your trample, your reach, or et cetera, they're kind of roughly ordered in, uh, how we think they'll be relevant. So, uh, 
defensive abilities are probably first because we think you'll be blocking before you'll be attacking with most creatures. Um, things that are relevant as you're attacking, like vigilance would come before trample because you attack, you know, you, you don't tap to attack before you assign combat damage. So we sort of roughly work out. There's a kind of basically just look at old magic cards to kind of get the pattern. When we have a new keyword ability, we just sort of think about, you know, where it is. Normally now new keyword abilities come with reminder text. And basically if a keyword has reminder text, it gets its own paragraph. So we just sort of work, kind of think about the logical flow. If we're talking about the order of abilities on uh, with other abilities, not keywords, it's just sort of thinking about the kind of the order we think they'll be relevant in. So like enters the battlefield abilities will come before dies abilities. Um, there'll be like every once in a while, there'll be some exceptions like a dies ability will appear before a say an ability that lets you cast it from your graveyard. Um, on some zombie cards or things like that. So we just want to basically make it as easy as possible for the reader, put everything in kind of a logical order, make everything as clear as possible. Um, we sort of operate under the assumption that, you know, players read their cards in order. That's not always true. They don't always read everything. We all kind of operate the same way. Um, we're players too. Um so that's basically it. There are, you know, there are some rules. Some of it, some of it are judgment calls. And design, you know, gives us a never-ending buffet of odd abilities to kind of think about and argue about and and talk about. So templating meetings are never a bore. Right. So one, just so people are aware, part of the process is usually during set design. Although vision design will sometimes get like really rough versions of things, so we can understand where we're go where we're heading. Um, but during set design, there are meetings that are called templating meetings where the lead set designer and the editor of the, of the set will get together and talk through, like, what what are the, A, the new mechanics doing, and then just individual cards, you know, where where are their problem childs, where are you doing something that Magic hasn't done before, and where are you doing something that there is template? Like, sometimes you, you want to do something new, and the editor will go, well, we, we have words for that, and those words are this. Right. Uh, you know... It as I said before, Magic has a handful of things it does, and every once in a while, something brand new will come out of the blue, and we'll just have to talk about, like, is this something truly new? Does this remind us of something? How did we handle it before? What have we learned since then? Like, we do a lot of... We pay a lot of attention to what players talk about. Some of us are plugged into social media. Um, we pay a lot of attention to the kind of rules questions that people ask. Um, we pay attention to how people react to things like release notes and previews and, you know, how do people react to new abilities and how things are worded. And sometimes they're complex things and we, there are reactions we don't anticipate. And we just we constantly try to iterate and improve and, you know, better anticipate how the public will react. And the it's in some ways, kind of an impossible task, right? The the public is a incredibly wide swath of amazing people. The, the breadth of people that play magic would astound you, right? The, um, you can't anticipate every reaction, but and, you can... Right, and one of the things that I know comes up, I mean, we have to wrap up soon here, but one of the things that comes up all the time is 
the more enfranchised players want us to like continually shrink language and add more keywords because to them they understand it and so hey why isn't this a keyword why you do this enough make it a keyword and then right. one of the tensions is we need the guy that's you know the person that's never played before who picks up their very first card to be able to understand it and if there's too much vocabulary it just becomes a wall they can't get past Right. Should flying just be a little like wing icon uh, on the type line? Like there are good arguments that it should be. There are good arguments that it shouldn't be. We could talk about this forever. <laughs> you know, should magic like develop a, a complex system of iconography in year 27? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, you know, these are conversations that take, you know, that just go on forever and ever and ever. And, uh, I've, I've been like, there are a lot of text improvements that we've made. There are text improvements we will continue to make that we are far from done. Um, magic, there, there are a lot of words. Word count is in some ways the enemy. Like words are great. We love words. Words communicate. Um, but we don't, we definitely want people to love playing and not, you know, reading is great and fundamental and all those things we were taught in school. We want people to be excited by the words that they read on the card and not kind of scared by them. So, so anyway, here, here's my, I'll give my wrap up and then you get your two cents. Uh, okay. Essentially magic uses its own language. There's a whole team of people whose job it is to understand that language, adapt the language and invent new language when new things happen. Uh, and that templating is, I talk about design, and I every every week you guys come and I talk about design. Templating, there could be a templating, I don't know if anyone wants a templating podcast, but there's just as much material in templating. The, the, the amount of decisions that have been made over the years, it's a very wide, deep, complex thing, and there's a dedicated team that has to constantly be working on that, and it's an ever-evolving thing. It is not... It is not like, oh, we're done, we've templated everything. It is a forever changing thing. And it's a whole skill set that there's a whole team dedicated to making it happen. And today's podcast is trying to like just dip the toe into, hey, there's this major thing that matters. That is one of the many things that we have to care about when making the game. Well, now I'm just thinking that every part of the card could have their own podcast. <laughs> it's like, hey, everybody, welcome to the Power and Toughness podcast. <laughs> this is Gavin Verhey. And today we're talking about... The Slash. <laughs> it's 2-1 day here on it. <laughs> it's, it's like week, it's week 17 of my 22-week series on 4-3. Yeah. Let's talk about zero toughness today. So anyway, I part of my goal of today's podcast is just to get the idea that this is a very, like, there's a lot that goes into making a magic card. Ma magic cards are a very complex thing, and that... This the language the, the the language of what the card says is its own specialty, and like I said, the reason I brought somebody on, I've been making magic cards for over twenty five years, and I'm horrible at templating. I mean, I understand it better than the average person, obviously, but I am not a good templator, and I've been doing this forever because it's a very it's a skill and it requires a lot of knowledge, and it's forever changing. So I bring in an expert to talk. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, Mark, I've been templating for about. Uh... Oh dear, like 13 years now, and I'm really bad at art. <laughs> so, so, anyway. And the, um, and the cycle continues. So, any final thoughts here? Because I, I can see my desk, so I'm, 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 this drive's closed over. Oh, are we still doing the driving gimmick? Um, <laughs> That's my gimmick. We're, we're, we're driving to work. Great. Uh, fantastic. Any final yeah, thoughts on is... templating? Any final thoughts? 
Quite a drive. Uh, no, uh, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to come and talk about kind of how the uh, the inner workings, how the sausage gets made, the room where it happens, all that good stuff. Um, happy to chat about uh, how we do what we do. Always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully your listeners uh, got some insight out of it. I'll be happy to come back for the sequel or <laughs> if you want to talk about uh, any topics in the future. Uh, I don't know what kind of uh, ideas you have. If you have any un thoughts or yes, Matt. Matt was my editor for uh, un Unfinity, which if you think templating is hard in a normal set, oh, uh, imagine I the crazy was, things I uh, throw at him in Unfinity. So, oh, Unfinity is that a thing we can talk about? I didn't. They know, know it exists. They don't know what's in it yet. But uh, maybe uh, I'll have you come okay. back and we'll talk about. Uh, Trying to edit magic cards when and I ask did, you to do wacky things. We did things. some templating <laughs> in that set, so stay tuned, cats and kittens and uh, beings of all kinds, because we have some uh, fun yeah. in store. So anyway, guys, I can see my desk, so we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Yep, see you next time. Bye-bye.